We've Been Around the Block is a podcast normally coming to you from the heart of KZN Midlands, but today from an undisclosed location near Pretoria. I am Anthony Jarvie, your host of the podcast, and my special guest today is Dr. Rickers Kloppers, who heads up the plant protection research for the Corteva Group for Africa and Middle East. Very welcome, Rickers. Thank you, Anthony. Nice to be here. Rickers, we've worked together for for many decades, actually. But for the listener, tell us a little bit about your, your career path. Indeed, Anthony, I think we both have careers that now span into the 20-so years. So, yeah, starting in 1998 in Town, working for Seed as the plant pathologist. And at that time, coming from the University of the Free State where I lectured and also did my PhD in rust diseases, but mostly on the serial diseases. And uh, yeah, then join, joining Panacea. So it's been a career around 30 years in, in agriculture. And now you've changed direction slightly? Yeah, so the first uh, 20 years of my career, can I say, in the Corteva group, or starting with Panacea at the time, started as the plant pathologist and technical services manager. And that was really just focusing on the crop side. So all the diseases on maize, on soybeans, on sunflower, sorghum, all of them really giving that support to the breeders um, who develops new cultivars and new hybrids, screening them for disease resistance and that type of thing. So really the focus was all about the crop. And uh, then, yeah, 20 years later... Uh, before you get there, you, you also took a, another slight change in direction halfway through where you headed up the biotechnology side in in a industry which is now very much mainstream now yeah that, that was part of my um i think just the, the progress in my career also starting as the pathologist and the technical manager part really then came in where i um looked after the biotechnology group so there was a very small group at that stage and a laboratory um in great town that that markers this the breeding and some purity work uh, on the hydrates and the, and the seed productions, and also the analytical lab that did some quality testing on the on the oil content of sunflower and and those type of things. So technical services really pathology analytical uh, and the biotechnology. Right, and then the last leg of your career so far has taken a turn into the chemistry side. I, th- I think in the last few years, in in even working in the seed business at the time, more focus on the seed platform. I did a lot of work on developing some spray programs for disease management um, and managing the risk in, in maize diseases and soybean diseases and, and well, all of the crops that we actually worked with. And I think there was always that a spark of interest there working with either the foliar applications and even seed treatments, which is also, uh, of course, big in the crop protection business. And uh, yeah, then got approached uh, a year or so ago and then asked to head up the research um, part of crop protection for Corteva and responsible for the, for the team in the whole African Middle East. Yeah, so it really has been a natural progression to where you got now. Yeah, I, I think it's just one of those things. It's a, it's a, it's a steep learning curve again, so we're um, moving away from the seed side where you know, you know the germplasm and the, and the hybrids and the cultivars and then suddenly changing into crop protection where it's all about um, active ingredients and formulations and registrations and which is a very difficult uh, new game to learn again you know uh, the regulatory side of it is very different 
Right. So the, the podcast name is We've Been Around the Block, and you certainly qualify on being around the block. Um, considering where you are at the moment, and you know what, I, I always thought of myself being fitter than you, but uh, obviously you are a lot faster because you've been around the block a lot more. And, and the way I see it is you still got a long trajectory ahead of you. In your career, you have rubbed shoulders with the plant breeding greats of yesteryear. You have shepherded your team through the deep waters of biotechnology. And now you currently lead your group in chemical plant protection. This is really the perfect 360 degree attack on plant pathogens. And you are the perfect person to have on this podcast as a guest. Two episodes ago, we discussed soybean rust in quite a lot of detail. And today the, the objective is to look at controlling soybean rust. So we stopped short of discussing rust control um, in the last episode. And our job today is to have a look at fungicidal control of soybean rust. And in particular, we would like to have a look at when, how and what to, to control. After a short commercial break, we will discuss soybean rust. Today's episode is sponsored by Panar Seed. Well, what can I say about Panar today? Panar call themselves the multi-crop specialist, so let's see whether this holds up to scrutiny. Most seed houses sell maize or hybrid maize seed, and some of them sell other crops as well. But as the number of crops increases, the list of seed houses that sell them diminishes rapidly. For many of these seed houses, this is just padding. In Panar's case, along with hybrid maize, they sell soybeans, dry beans obviously, but also sunflower, wheat, sorghum and forages. And this is definitely not padding. Panar has invested in research and technical support for these crops. And if they're not in the top yield position in, in a crop, they certainly are competing for that top spot. As our agriculture becomes more and more specialized, rotation becomes increasingly more important. And Panar is that perfect one-stop shop for you. Right, so we're back with soybean rust and control of it using fungicides. Let's start with when. So when is the best time to control soybean rust? Anthony, I almost want to step back a little bit in, in where this all started, you know, and I, and I, because it does tell a little bit about the story of when. is when we first discovered soybean rust in, in KZN, and I, I remember very well that Friday afternoon in, in 2001, when one of our sales guys walked into the lab and said, what is this on the soybean, and it was rust. We knew it was on our borders, but I mean, the excitement, you know, we as pathologists, we always get excited about diseases where farmers don't. But anyway, that was a kind of a breakthrough moment and then starting to scout. And I remember in the Carcloof area where we then went and saw some farmers and they said they know the disease is here. Should we spray or not? And when do we spray? And, and standing there talking to a farmer and he said, do I have to spray? And, and I, I've been through his fields and I could not see, I could not spot any symptoms of soybean rust. Now, well, this was a new disease. Nobody really knew what to look for exactly. And we're very unfamiliar with it. And, and, and I could not see any rust. And I said, no, I don't think you should spray. But while standing there, just looking across the valley, 
do a, a neighbor's farm and saw something in his soybean fields that just looked very strange and, and asking Tony, Tony, what's happening there in your neighbor's fields? And he said, I don't know, but let's phone him. And he phoned and, and he said, no, he doesn't know, but this is very strange. And we drove over there and it was just soybean rust everywhere in the field. And, and, and we stood there and we tried to figure out what's going on here because it was exactly the same variety. Nobody sprayed and the one is just full of soybean rust and the other one not. And eventually it really came out, the one farmer plant two weeks before the other guy. So it, it immediately showed us that the disease was very specific in terms of when it attacked the plant. There was a certain stage in the physiology of the soybean plant where it really came in. And that, that kind of opened the whole issue of the when, the fact that you have to be preventative with your control. Yeah, the currently registered controls are all uh, preventative. I think that is the most, most critical part of soybean rust control. You have to be preventative. As soon as you see any rust pustules on the leaf, that leaf will drop. So you really have to be there before the disease arrives. Right. And so what we normally see is soybean rust coming in after flowering? Yeah, that's that's correct. Because I, I think at the time what we also saw, there were different varieties planted in, in the demo site. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and I remember Octa, for instance, that was there, which was a later variety. And we could clearly see the early varieties as soon as after flowering that early pot stage, that's when the rust really came into the crop. Right. And what it looked like with the longer season varieties, it looked like they had resistance, but, you know, it was just a matter of time and they would get it. Ab- absolutely. So they almost served as a good warning system as well. The early varieties that something is there and you need to take precaution now. Right, so um, farmers would generally then spray after flowering, and we probably got three categories of of areas. So the first category is areas that never get rust, and so obviously those guys wouldn't spray. You get areas that always get rust, and farmers would have to have some sort of strategy to spray on a regular basis um, every year. And then the problem area is actually those those areas that get rust infrequently. And so their strategy might differ from the areas that get rust every year. Yeah, definitely. I think we know that uh, the mist belt areas, Kwazulu Natal, the Kalkluv, around Peter Maritzburg, Great Down area, those are really hot spots in terms of the of the soybean rust. And um, and then in some years you will see it moving up into the free state. But even there, when it comes in, it's so late, it, it really does have no effect. So it is always difficult to decide, you know, where the cutoff is, you know, in the hot spots. There's no way around it. Every year you are going to spray for soybean rust. But as you say, in some of the other areas, it might be a difficult decision. The sentinel plots that are still being grown out there, that serves as a warning that the rust is in the area, I think does serve a, a very specific purpose. It does tell you that there might be rust and you have to start looking at a preventative spray. Right. So if we then move on to the what, so what is available for farmers to use to spray against soybean rust? At the, you know, also again, when we took that first few steps, it was really a hit and, hit and miss situation, trying to figure out what did we have that we could spray off of maize diseases, looking at a products that was there that was good on rust, maybe of the cereals and just playing around with those and the chemical companies really came to the party and did some excellent work and did um, emergency registrations. 
as at its stand, now there's 33 registered products in South Africa, very specifically for soybean rust. Right. So just as as a side, are the rust pathogens similar between, say, maize rust and soybean rust in terms of the fungicide activity, or are, are they quite different? I think the one thing that we did see with soybean rust is once the rust is there and you spray with a strobilurin type of fungicides, we never seen that immediate effect where it stops sporulation. Okay. While in, in maize rust, for instance, if I come in and I see the rust and I spray three, four days later, I can actually see that the sporulation has stopped. Okay, so I think that's an important thing. Farmers that may understand maize rust I need to know that soybean rust is different. Yes, you know, you, you absolutely have to be there before sporulation. Right. And so of these 33 products that are currently available for, for use on soybeans, many of them are combination products, right? A lot of them combinations. There's still a few um, in the list that I saw that are single products, uh, are mostly uh, triazole type products. There are one or two strobilurin type of products. And I think the danger with all of those are always resistance issues that we know that you uh, you target a specific a single target site and, and uh, the possibility of resistance is always big. But the, the bulk of the products that we see out there are, are very good combinations of different type of actives. Right, so many of the products are then two or more actives in, in a single spray, which then assists in combating the, the buildup of resistance to that particular product. But very often we would be spraying more than one spray during the season. And so what is, what is the strategy in terms of which fungicides to use when? For all of us, I, I really think if we can follow the good FRAC principles, and really FRAC means the Fungicide Resistance Action Committee uh, or the group that looks after managing, managing resistance in all fungicides. There are some very clear guidelines on the type of products that you use, the timing of the products, and also the number of times that you should be using the same product in, in a sequence. So a lot of the times you will clearly see on a label that it will tell you do not apply more than uh, than two times in the same season and then you have to follow up with something else and and I think um, also just talking about that and one must also remember that when you start following up crops and you use the same products it, it also become part of that sequence so that we all also have to manage that. Right. You know, so very often farmers would have a, a fungicide store and you would draw out fungicides for both maize and soybeans. And so this is obviously the, the products that he uses on maize will have some implication on, on what he does with these soybeans. Yes, absolutely. Because some of these products um, obviously share registrations for the different crops. Okay. And is there, is there a decent guideline? You know, so I just know that, that if you use a strobe based fungicide, that you would probably use that as, as your first application and not your last application. I would really think that would be my preference. And, and there's also a number of reasons why I'm saying that because I still believe that the strobilurin type fungicides are the best preventative type of products that you get on the market currently. Some of the triazoles are maybe more corrective type of product. That also sometimes make these combinations very effective because they kind of play a dual role. But uh, as I said, so, so from a timing aspect, I, I really think it's because maybe better preventative. And then um, later, I'm really maybe going to a triazole product or one of those um, types because what we have also noticed that the strobilirins really brings a greening effect to the plant. And I think one should be careful 
that you often end up where the plants actually stay green and it, it really creates problems when you start combining that you have the soybeans and then you have to go to alternative um, methods to dry down the soybeans, which is not always uh, the best practice. Yeah. Also, the, the strobes tend to have a longer working working life and perhaps then also a longer withholding period, which means that, that you would rather not spray that too close to harvest or fear of having residual in your, in your grain. Yes, and, and I think, as you know, without being specific to specific product projects, I think it's just following the good guidelines as they appear on the label. And normally the label is really comprehensive in that way that it will tell you the withholding time and do not apply later than this stage or do one of these and not the second one. So I, I think the information is out there and it's really just the best stewardship principles to follow the, the label guidelines. And I, I think it's becoming more and more important to us. You know, previously we were a fairly small soybean grain producer and almost all the soybean grain was used locally. But now, more frequently, we are seeing that some grain gets exported. And if it gets exported to Europe, their regulations are way more stricter than ours. And so it does make a big difference in terms of the withholding period. I think we need to, to make very sure that we are within the stewardship guidelines. Yeah, absolutely. And, and because, you know, when you do bring a new fungus out to the market, you don't only test the efficacy of the product, whether it controls the disease. Part of the registration process is the residue studies. What are the residues at the specific stage? As you say, then when you go into an export, um, does it exceed it or is it less than the, uh, uh, the, the residues that's allowed on that crop? Right. And then also just in line with the stewardship thing is the safety, the safety for the people applying it and the farmers and the workers, right? Yes, uh, it is. Normally the fungicides I've found are probably the more friendlier, if I can call it so, safe, safer products, so often, often the green or the blue label uh, type of fungicides, so not that uh, dangerous uh, to people, but still the principles uh, need to be applied that these are still pesticides and you have to take take care. All right, good. Right, so that brings us on to, on to how. How do we go about applying these fungicides most effectively? The, the how I almost also want to start with use the registered products. <laughs> that should be the first rule and don't just go off label and try anything that you read about on Dr. Google or something like that. You know, really try and focus on the registered products because those have very specific rates. And if we do not do that, and again, coming back to the stewardship discussion, you know, you might easily lose a product because of resistance buildup. And so, so that to me still is, is critical. Um, right. So, so I just remember right in the beginning of the soybean rust era, we had some discrepancies between the rates used in Zimbabwe and in South Africa. And part of the problem was that they were using reduced rates in, in Zimbabwe for a cost perspective. And, and actually from a stewardship side, that was really quite bad. It's, there's a very fine balance um, between that, uh, that the efficacy that you can achieve with a certain rate and what is acceptable. You know, do you want a 100% clean plant or do you tolerate some of the disease and, and, and versus that kind of costing. But the, the risk is always there with a lower rate that you will get a resistance buildup. And remember, a soybean rust is what they call a polycyclic pathogen. In other words, it, it keeps generating new spores throughout the season. So there's a lot of cycles. 
And in that combination, the chances of resistance buildup and mutation is much higher than in, in other diseases. Right, yeah. It's, it's, it's certainly been, as a, a pathogen for soybeans, it's certainly been one of the more serious challenges that breeders have had because the pathogen has multivirulence factors within it, yeah. It mutates extremely quickly. And I, and, and I think we, we spoke about it briefly earlier. You know, if you look at resistance as an issue, you know, the, the problem is not just the efficacy that you lose. There's a lot of um, investment going into bringing a new product to the market. We're talking about years, eight, nine, ten years maybe to bring it. And I, I think we looked at it recently and it was around $300 million dollars us dollars to bring a new product to the market so it's a huge investment you don't want to lose it yeah so it's actually everybody's responsibility to make sure that we keep the products which are registered keep them active yep absolutely right so just getting back to how we go about spraying what what is the best strategy in applying the fungicides i think the the the, the nice thing about the soybeans you don't need a really high type of equipment like when you're spraying maize plants you know uh, maize is easy you first spray you can do with a tractor but you get into after tassel and those things you have very tall plants soybeans you do not have that problem so i think most of the farmers really already have the equipment on the farm if they can plant a soybean they can probably spray a soybean because you really need a good tractor type of ground application and or any of these new spray rigs, uh, very, very, very good in, in controlling soybean. Right, so so well, most soybean farmers are not primarily soybean farmers. They're actually probably maize farmers who rotate with soybeans. And so that equipment would be available to them. So they don't perhaps need a high boy, but they do need nice high volumes, right? Yes, I think in, in fungicides, and especially if you look at something like soybean rust and and remember, sometimes we talk about controlling soybean rust, but you're also controlling the other diseases. So you really need a penetration into the canopy. We can see soybean rust starting on the on the bottom leaves. So so really, um, looking at at volumes, you know, 200, 250, 300 liters per hectare. Right, and also to to get the the spray to penetrate into the canopy because we're doing this now after R1, so it's in the reproductive stage. And by that stage, the crop is canopied quite nicely. And so you need good pressure and good penetration all the way down. With most of these products, they are locally systemic, right? But you have to actually target the bottom leaves too? Yes, uh, yes. A lot of them have a systemic activity, but I, but yeah, still always good to, to penetrate the crop and, and at least go down two-thirds of the crop. Right. So, so in that case, aerial application works as well, right? Tractor application is good if you have some sort of uh, windsock that would help quite considerably and the idea is to get a nice uh, a fine mist um, yes the distribution of the product you know um, is, is, is critical and, and you asked the question about aerial application definitely we saw how, how efficient it could be especially if you're talking huge hectares and, and you need to get in there quickly and, and, and control the disease aerial application um, is, is very good uh, but again, critical, we, we saw some sites where, where the aeroplane just slightly went up higher than it should be and you could clearly see the cut-off line where it, where it didn't penetrate the crop. I think you're looking at nozzles also maybe. It's, it's just also maybe critical to, to definitely, the, the, a good principle is still to inspect your nozzles and whatever you spray, whether it's a fungicide, you're going into that season, just always check the nozzles because nozzles do 
take a hammering they wear and tear and, and the distribution is not what it should be and nozzles for herbicides and fungicides and insecticides is not necessarily the same so i think it's critical to also just make sure that you have the right nozzle for the right product so that really winds up the how we get about uh, applying fungicides are there new products in the pipeline coming through uh, definitely um the the pipeline and you know Obviously, my reference is the Corteva pipeline that I can see, and, and I, I'm very excited about the pipeline coming through. And there is some really interesting new products um, coming through the pipeline. Can't say too much about them at this stage, but you know they're in different phases of being being tested. Uh, so it's really about now bringing it to market, doing local testing, efficacy testing, going through a registration process, which is a which is quite a long time at certain stages, but yeah, very, very um, interesting products that are coming through. Well, the reassuring thing is that we already have 30-odd products in registration, and so it's not like we're sitting there with a great big hole. But obviously new products are exciting stuff for soybean producers. And it's not just the fact that you're just bringing something that gives you the same type of control as the previous products. You know, the, you're always trying to achieve a better control, but also striving towards maybe a greener product, a friendlier, safer product. I think that that is... So there's a lot of things about bringing new products. And, and we must also remember that the, the the two things work in parallel, the crop and the crop protection. They work very closely together. If you look at the even the new traits coming through on soybeans, if we're talking about South Africa, you know the value of the crop is also increasing. So it's really trying to now again... Uh, protecting that yield potential on that high-value crop that is that is coming to market. Right. So, so this is really where we get the the whole thing coming together, where we have the plant breeding efforts, the crop protection chemistry efforts, and and also just the cultural practices coming together. And actually, one of the new things is also the digital ag. Um, so we're having new developments in digital technology which should and could assist in scouting and picking up new diseases and and also monitoring the progress of diseases. Yes, I, I, everything just gets together at some stage where you're talking traits, crop protection, uh, conventional breeding, digital. It's um, I think it's just amazing. I mean, seeing the progress over the 20 odd years of what, that we've been working in the crop is just seeing all these things coming in from the side and all adding to, to this. So digital is definitely a big one. And I mean, we, we're just talking about traits. I mean, the next thing we are seeing is is, is traits coming through uh, that gives soybean rust resistance. Rickus, it's, it's been wonderful chatting to you about soybean rust control. And I certainly hope that we can have you back on the podcast sometime. We really need to circle around and, and touch on sclerotinia at some stage. And for your sins, we'll call on you to help us with the chemical control of sclerotinia. We'll wind up the podcast for today. And until next time, take care. Yeah.